Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode three, season five of This Spiritual Fix. Today, we are starting off our Growing Up series, where we will be having a series of conversations with experts on what it means to really grow up, to move past shadow work into better ways of relating. Enjoy this first episode. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello, Anna. Hello, Christina. How are you doing today? I'm good. We're in person together. Mm -hmm. We're going to be able to be in person probably for almost all the episodes this season since we're only doing them every other week. Yes. And to all of you out there who have not heard we are doing it every other week, we are going every other week, but we feel it's more sustainable for us. We have also gotten feedback that sometimes it's hard for everybody to follow along every week, right? Because there's a lot going on. And for those of you who are avid listeners who listen every week, we love you so much. We really appreciate it, and we encourage you to go back and listen, or to to write us an email, or do something yeah. like that. Yeah, or re-listen to the episodes, and and maybe you like the every other week thing too, because if you were doing the shadow processes in tandem with us. You probably welcome some some breaks. Especially because in some ways we have time to prep for our episodes. So it's not like we only have a week to do the process. We've been processing for a month or two prior to going into an episode. Whereas if you're following week on week, you actually are giving yourself less time. Oh my gosh, you're right. It's harder to be a listener than to be the first like they have it harder. They have y'all have have it harder. harder. Y'all have it harder. So crazy. Yep. So what are we talking about in our play playlu today? Well, we were gonna talk about we were gonna talk about snooping. Yeah. The the morality of sno- snooping, like is it okay to snoop? Is it not okay to snoop on your partner's phone or electronics? And I had read this interesting article from Dan Savage that said that snooping is one of the only uh, crimes that you determine the morality retroactively, which is to say if you, he says, if you find something when you're snooping that you deserve to know and you should have known, like infidelity, say, yeah. or, you know, you know, your partner spending all your money, you know, gambling, think, gambling exposing you to, yeah. yeah. Like if you find something that you had a right to know, but didn't know you're clear. But if you snoop and you don't find something that you should have known, then you're guilty of being deceptive and snoopy which is really funny because then you may just dig yourself into an even deeper hole because you're like i swear there's something but i can't find it so i'm going to keep crossing lines and crossing lines and crossing lines and crossing lines until you can find something and if you still don't find anything then you've then just you're like so you really need to apologize yeah. yeah you really need to apologize yeah, but there yeah could be some serious trust but for anyone out there who's listened to our trauma bonding episode if you have snooped and found something bad about your abuser that you should have known and they counter with, well, you snooped, which is worse. You ethically do have a right to snoop if there was information that you should have known. And they are just distracting and trauma bonding you there. <laughs> right. But then there's also something to be said about what is it that made you feel as if something was happening? Because right. that's also a flag that says if you either inherently don't trust your partner or if you inherently don't, if you're, you know, if you're not... Um, 
if there's something going on in which you, you are finding some sort of insecurity, then that's something for you to look at as well. And it may not be, it may be your partner and it may be that something, some dynamic has changed and you're right. Cause most of our instincts are oftentimes right. But at the same time, you well, know, it could be that it's something inside of us. I have a good parameter to determine that. Okay. So my parameter is if you have trust issues on a regular basis, like if you do suffer from the betrayal wound on a regular basis, if you're uh, a conspiracy theorist, if you have a history of distrusting people and partners and bosses and friends and relatives all across the spectrum, then chances are if you're feeling like your partner is betraying you, they may or may not. But if you across the board generally do not have trust issues with people, with general people and in general, but you only specifically are distrustful of your partner, it's possible that that is your intuition or instinct or observation leading you to believe that. That That's my own belief because I believe that with these wounds, they're not categorical. Like you don't just have fear of betrayal from your partner, you have fear of betrayal from life itself, right? right? So, so wounds seep into all aspects of our life. So if if the, the fear, fear of betrayal has seeped into every aspect of your life or many aspects of your life, it might be that you have a betrayal issue, yeah. and a trust issues. But yeah. if, if, it's, if, it's, if it's specific to one person, then chances are that one person is doing something that's violating your trust. Yeah. So we ended up talking about what I said let's not talk about. Because <laughs> what I did want to talk about actually was in the vein of growing up, Yes. What it means to see people as people and not as the stories we have about them, right? Mm-hmm. So so yesterday, Christina Wiltsey, <laughs> Christina Wiltsey, <laughs> as opposed to the other Christinas on this show, <laughs> Christina had to run an errand. She went to see Robbie, our shaman, for a few hours, and she's staying in Atlanta for the night. And I said, well, bring your daughter, because you had other errands to run with your daughter. And I said, instead of taking her to Robbie's, why don't you bring her to me? And I get to hang out with her one-on-one, and then she gets to hang out with my kids. Yeah. So I had like an hour and a half with your daughter without anyone else, just me and her. We had so much fun. We were waiting at the vet for a really long time because there was like a vet emergency. And we got we went on Tech Talk Bad Parenting. And we like were laughing hysterically. It was just like really funny bloopers yeah. of like a cat attacking a father or like a baby, <laughs> you know, puking on the mother. Like whatever. We were laughing hysterically about it. And it was I thought it was really nice because I really want to know Christina's children as the people they are and not as like extensions of Christina. Yeah. And hanging out with your daughter without you there, I was able to see her as like a whole person because I usually only hear about her or interact with her as this like appendage. Yeah. And, um, or in my description of her or your description of her. I don't want to say like an accessory to you because you don't objectify her, but like, I always see her through the lens of like, this is Christina's daughter. Whereas yesterday I got to spend an hour and a half, knowing her as her yeah and it got me thinking about this episode of growing up because I think a lot of us one of the aspects hallmark features of growing up is seeing your parent as a person and not as your parent so it's kind of like in the same way that I project this narrative of Christina's daughter onto her daughter you know I think we do that to our parents like my father is dad but then when I grow up I see that he is a multi-dimensional person who happened to also be my father. Yes. So I just thought that's an interesting thing, like how much of our of the identity of people in our lives are colored by the lens of the narrative we've given them. And the labels we've given them, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Or the role that they had to play. Yeah, no, it's really, it's a really interesting thing. It's... And then I wonder who is my daughter or who is my son without my lens on them? Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, because their their flaws are my flaws magnified so like I really see it and then you, you I don't know like it just I no, wonder it, it, it makes a lot of sense it I makes a lot wonder. of sense I mean I, I think about that with my kids all the time like how much can you really see them well how much can you really see them and how much I enjoy having those interactions where there are no rules you know like normally I wouldn't watch TikTok with Lyra because she has to be you know because we're like for whatever reason and that yet you kind of got to have that experience and like it just reminds me of the fact that I like need to like have time in which you're just hanging out with a person. There's no rules. There's no like parent kid rules. You know what I mean? There's no like, you know what I'm trying to say? I, I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't have done TikTok. Oh. You have this look on your face. I was like, like oh my god. I was like, no, is no, TikTok no. off limits? Oops. No, no, no. It's not that it's off limits. It's just that it's just that like typically 
if I'm looking at my phone and my kids come near me to look at it, I stop looking at my phone because I like don't want them to think that the phone is more important than oh. them. You know what I mean? And so, but like, it's also just like a really fun social media thing. I'm, I feel like I'm trying, I'm coming across as holier oh, than see, now. See, one thing, like, no, yeah. well, one thing, well, it's just one thing me and my kids do is when I find funny TikToks, like I get on the t- funny TikTok um, scroll, yeah, they join me and we all laugh together. And, yeah, and, and that's brilliant. And replay them. Yeah, and that's brilliant. And my husband is very anti anti tablet, electronic, social media, all that kind of stuff. So like, anytime, I, and this is probably just me projecting, but anytime that like he says. Every time, anytime he sees us like on the phone together, I usually stop. Like if I am having my kids, an unspoken judgment, even if he isn't, you perceive it. I perceive the unspoken judgment that like that I'm not supposed to be doing that with the kids because that's like less than, or it's like you know they should be outside gardening together. We do all that shit too, but it's fun to laugh on fucking TikTok occasionally. Yeah. Oh my god, the funniest one we watched it maybe ten times. I was crying, but I I was crying laughing. (laughs) It was this video of these three children playing and the baby tosses a box in the air and it hits the oldest kid in the head and the kid doesn't swipe its head. It doesn't turn to look at where the box is coming from. The oldest kid, it just carries on like nothing happened. And it was so funny. It was like, this is what happens when you're the oldest child. Like you don't even notice when someone like fucking throws a box at your head. It was just the kid's reaction was amazing the, the lack of reaction was lack absolutely. of reaction yeah, yeah, was just exactly. absolutely like yes that is exactly what it's like to spend a lot of time with babies and children that's exactly it that's exactly it yeah the um yeah so we're going to be talking about growing up so we're talking a lot about kids and parents and all that kind of stuff but the, the fascinating thing about this series or what i'm hoping will be the fascinating thing about this series is that we're looking at through growing up of the lens not necessarily of people who have kids but how how do we kind of move move beyond shadow work, which can be messy and it can be filled with all sorts of kind of experiences. And oftentimes the shadow work that you're addressing may be more extreme reactions. It may be systemic issues in your life. Like when you're doing your shadow work, especially with the primal wounds and with the mother wound and the father wound, those are humongous wounds, y'all. And it may be that like, you systemically have not been able to keep a relationship because you have trust issues because of the betrayal thing, as we said in the beginning. Or it may be that you have kind of all these other things going on, but growing up in this aspect is to say, okay, I've done a lot of shadow work. If you're on the fifth season of The Spiritual Fix with us and you've been following along, as we've mentioned, you've probably done a lot of a lot of work. You've probably done a lot of processing. You're not just listening to us. You're reading books. You're doing all these kinds of things. And it's time for us to say, Okay, what are the kind of maybe smaller, fine-tuning bits that we can do that help us to grow up in the sense of, it's always a spectrum. There's no like, all of a sudden, like, you have reached grown up. Like, there's no like, you know, road milestone in, in the path other than probably when you don't even consider or think of yourself as immature and you have a very good way of relating and you're not governed by your shadow. But the idea is that, how do we fine tune those smaller things that we may be holding on to, those behaviors that we may be holding on to that can mature? And how do we look to different and better ways of relating? Because it's not just about doing the shadow, it's also about replacing it with better habits. It's about finding different and more mature language that allows us to deal with things in a different way in a better way, in a way that we truly want to be. And if we've come from traumatic childhoods and if we've come from all these places, we didn't never learn that. We never learned the better way of relating. So that's what this series is about. It's about recognizing those smaller things, how we move from not just doing shadow work, but how are we actually working and living and relating in our daily lives, how we can do a little bit better, a little bit fine tuning of those different things And then, you know, how are we changing our language and things like that? So in this series, we're going to be doing some, uh, we're going to be talking to Jay Fields about better ways of relating, um, particularly she's, I'm hoping we're going to talk about repair and about different realities, which are two things that I learned in your, your, yours truly course, which are really wonderful. And we're also going to be talking to a parenting expert, um, 
uh, who is a behavioral uh, therapist, a behavioral yeah. therapist, um, who is uh, going to talk about kind of the differences between the different types of parenting when it comes to actually having kids, but how you can also apply that to your own self your own and your own inner children. Yes. So one thing I just want to say, and I said it in the first episode of the season, is there's this quote by Osho that says, everybody grows old, but not everybody grows up. And it's really, it's kind of funny because, you know, I was in graduate school among doctoral students, and there would be petty shit going on as if they were still in fifth grade. Yeah. You know, and I'm in my 40s now, and I know some people's in their 50s, 60s, 70s, playing these games like you think they would have grown out of by now. Yeah. So... We want to just say, like, just because you're older doesn't mean you've necessarily grown up. And just because, and and it might have to do with soul level, but it also has to do with privilege. So I also just want to just kind of set the tone here that growing up is actually very privileged. If we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is like a pyramid scale, on the very bottom of the scale, you have your physiological needs, then you have safety, going up, you have belonging and love, then you have self-esteem, then you going up, you have cognitive needs, going up even further, aesthetic, the last one is self-actualization, and then beyond that is transcendence. So to kind of put it lightly, a lot of people on this planet, most people on this planet are just dealing with physiological issues and safety issues. They can't even get to the whole belonging and love, let alone self-actualization. So growing up is a privilege, right? Mm. It's it's not everyone can do it. Yeah. And I just want to put it out there. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you're privileged. I'm assuming you have access to smartphones and Wi-Fi and podcasts and maybe even headphones and time, free time to actually listen to podcasts. So you are, I just want to say like, let's take a moment and just appreciate the gift we are given that we have the privilege to even do self-actualization work and then let's use that to grow the fuck up <laughs> right and, and it's really interesting because i think that we've talked about ifs we talked about it a lot last season we started it in episode uh 320 um in season three and you know one of the aspects that we talk about with growing up is becoming that self-led person as opposed to the part-led person because a lot of us if we've done, if you've done IFS work, you know that your parts think that you're younger, right? If you've ever asked a part, a protector in particular, how old you are, they'll be like, you're eight years old and I'm protecting you from that, right? Mm -hmm. And so they are governing that part. If that part is, is like in charge of you, if that kind of strategic self is the one who's like coming forward, you're kind of acting like an eight-year-old and you're acting as if you are an eight-year-old, right? So you can kind of see how we're equating growing up with not only being self-sufficient and kind of being able to move through Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but also how are you becoming more self-led? You know, how are you um, making it so that your shadow is not governing your behavior as if you have no choice, right? And that's ultimately what this is about. Um, it's about autonomy and, and self-empowerment. And sovereignty, exactly. exactly. Third chakra stuff. Exactly, third chakra stuff. Um, so why might we not have, we kind of touched on it, but why might we not have grown up, Anna? Well, trauma. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, there's, there's so many things. You got your trauma in this life. You got your trauma in your past life. You have your soul ages. You have resources, right? Like I was saying, you know, if, if, if just knowing where, where you're going to sleep tonight or what you're going to eat tonight is your main concern, you know, you're not going to be concerned on growing up. Yeah. A lot of us also can get stuck in stories of the past, like Christina was saying, with the parts, you know, ex we exile parts of ourselves, we get stuck in those ways. And then one of the things that can happen is our attachment styles, like basically the way that our primary caregiver, typically parents, raised us in those early formative years might have a very big influence on our ability to grow up, right? Mm -hmm. So if we look at attachment styles, we have secure and insecure attachment. Secure is the one, is the, is the child who has been privileged enough to have secure relationships with their parents and they are like on that highway, you know, to growing up. They've been set up in a great way to be healthy and have great and, and have healthy parameters and healthy guidelines for like, for being secure and autonomous and safe. And all those wonderful things, so that they are on track to be to growing up. Yeah. And then for the other, is it half of us? 
Yeah. The other half. At least in the United States, yeah. And then for the other half of us who have insecure attachment, that is another hurdle to go over to get to the point where we grow up. If it's been a while since you listened to our Mother Wound series, you have your secure attachment and then insecure. And in insecure, you have three different types. Yeah. So the secure looks like a person who can trust fairly easily, is attuned to their emotions, communicates easily when they're, can communicate easily when they're upset, leads with cooperation and flexible behavior in relationships. And what it looks like in children is if a parent leaves the room and comes back, the child goes to the parent for comfort and the parent comforts them. Yeah, right? it actually makes a difference. Yeah. yeah. And then within the umbrella of insecure attachment, you have anxious and avoidant. And with avoidant, you have avoidant dismissive and avoidant fearful. Mm-hmm. So with anxious attachment, you have a very sensitive nervous system, gets overwhelmed easily, struggles with communication, tends to act out when triggered, and these people can turn into codependents, for example. And then you have the avoidant dismissive. So, oh, so in the anxious attachment style, if, a, if the parent leaves the room, the child gets very upset when the parent comes back. The child is not soothed by the parent coming back. They're still agitated and anxious, okay. right? Now, with the avoidant dismissive, these people downplay the importance of relationships. They're usually extremely self-reliant. They can be more vulnerable. Oh, they can be more vulnerable when there is a big crisis. And in that example of the child, when the parent comes back, the child won't make eye contact with the parent. They dismiss and avoid the parent. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're like fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Then you have avoidant fearful. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Is that disorganized? It's kind of more disorganized, but yeah. Um, avoidant fearful, also known as disorganized. So it's kind of like a mix of anxious and avoidant dismissive. And they're more dependent in relationships than avoidant dismissive. They strongly fear rejection. They have low self-esteem. They have high anxiety in relationships. And you're going to see any, re- like the reactions may be different. They may be super anxious. You know, that parent comes back in the room and they may cry a lot. Or the parent comes back and they avoid them. So they're kind of... Every and all. And they usually have suffered the most trauma. Right. And I think one of the really important things to recognize with the mother wound and with attachment uh, is that we've talked in the past about attachment objects, about how the attachment object may not be the parent. It may be somebody else who happened to be around who was a caretaker. And ultimately, what we start to recognize is that kind of an immature way of relating and this is immature, not in the judgment way, but this is like, like a juvenile. This is me trying to like distinguish to say like, as a young person, attachment is the way that you know how to relate. And that's the way that you're expected to relate, right? Is that you are attached. But the important thing to recognize is that you and insecurely attached people will know this is that you, when you move into a relationship with a partner in particular, Um, or even with your kids, is you no longer form attachments, you form relationships. And there's a very big difference between these two things because an attachment is, even in a secure attachment, it's like there's, there's a level of, like attachment implies dependency, right? Because as a child, even if you're securely attached, you have to have your needs met by somebody else. But ultimately, partnerships are not supposed to work that way. You're not supposed to be attached to your partner, right? You're definitely not supposed to be attached to your kids, right? Because they're supposed to be attached to you. You know, it's supposed to be relational and interdependent, right? Which is very, very different than when you have an insecure attachment, because then all of a sudden you're still looking to your partner, to your boss, to your colleagues, to your whomever, to your friends, to, to fulfill the attachment that you never had as a kid. But actually, if you were securely attached or if things were different or whatever, if you, or, you know, as we move into this more mature stage, we start to recognize that relational attachment is the way that we're actually going, which we'll get into later in this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about the father wound, Anna? We could say that if you suffer from the father wound, you can go back and listen to that episode. episode. You basically, you are being wounded by the father, you know, the father in quotes, either personally, spiritually, or socially. Socially meaning the infrastructure and laws in which you live in, you know, no access to maybe voting where you live, maybe having your hair covered or not having your hair covered where you live, maybe access to healthcare and reproductive rights and things like that, or just, you know, being sexually assaulted at work because you're a woman or whatever, like socially, like how the, basically the quote unquote patriarchy 
is abusing you. Then you have the personal father wound, which is how your relationship directly with your father or your male care caregiver, the dynamic there that might have wounded you. You know, we have narcissistic abuse as a form of father wounding. And then spiritually, we could say that relationship you have with God in which God is judging you and punishing you and you are this imbecile, right? Right. So we talk all about that in other words. So we talk all about that in a whole series in season four about the father wound. And the way that that could keep you from growing up is just think about it. If you have a father wound, you are taking on that narrative of child, right? You are not growing up. You are not rising up. You're right. not overcoming that dynamic. Right. And particularly worth identity and power were a lot of what oh, we yeah, looked that's at, true. right? Worth identity and power were what's there. Which is why you'll find that, I, I I mean, with the mother wound and the father wound, but particularly you hear this story with men, when their fathers die, suddenly they grow up, right? It's as if it's as if their father's passing away or their same-sex parent, it could be, you know, in whichever way, that somehow cues to them to say, I can actually be whomever, I can have my own identity, my value is no longer determined by what my parents think of me. And, uh, and, and I, and I have power that's not necessarily the power that's been granted to me. I can create my own power and I can have my own power dynamics. So that's a lot of what you're seeing is a lot of the time that does end up happening. Um, trauma is kind of an extension of what we're saying here, but you know, it's, it's kind of what we're talking about with, um, trauma can prevent us from growing up because we may be stuck in the past. We may be stuck. We have, you know, you can have PTSD in which you're constantly having flashbacks going back. There's so many different things that trauma kids, I would recommend going back to that series that was at the end of last season to talk more about trauma, but effectively it can arrest development for your parts. It can make it so that your parts are governing you again. And it can also make it so that, um, you have massive trust issues and those trust issues are something that is, is kind of one of the things that also kind of arrests the emotional development of people. That makes it so it's hard for them to quote unquote grow up. Yeah. Another one is addiction like alcoholism or drug addiction. They say that basically the time that you started abusing your drug, you didn't grow up. So let's say you were 16 when you started using heroin and then you finally become sober when you're 22. Well, you might be 22 years old, but emotionally and mentally you are 17 years old. They say that when you are in the throes of your addiction, your emotional and cognitive development is put on pause. Yeah. So just keep in mind, you know, if you are married to dating or you are yourself a recovering addict, there might be a big chunk of time where you have frozen in development. So that might be keeping you from quote unquote growing up. Yep. Another one is the primal wounds, which we talked about in season one. You have the primal wound of betrayal, injustice, rejection, abandonment, humiliation. And if you are deeply wounded in those ways, that's also going to keep you from growing up because you're just going to have these automatic masking patterns we call them masks so the betrayals mask is the controller the injustice mask is the rigid person the rejection mask is the fugitive meaning they run away the abandonment's mask is the codependent and the humiliation mask is the masochist so basically if you're suffering from deep wounds then you're masking a lot of the time to protect yourself from feeling those wounds or dealing with those wounds so one thing that can keep you from growing up is removing that mask, right? You can't be your true, authentic, autonomous self if you're wearing masks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so those are some of the reasons why we may not grow up. Um, what... I don't want to grow up. I'm a <laughs> Toys R Us kid. Oh God, they're co- women. Of, I would say, uh, or into Peter Pan, the musical of Peter Pan was something I listened to all the time, and she goes, "I won't grow up." Uh, and you're supposed to say, I won't grow okay, up. Okay, go ahead. I don't want to. Go ahead. <laughs> I won't grow up. I won't grow up. I don't want to be a kid. I can't I, don't, I just want to be a kid. I just want to be a kid. Yep. I just want to be a kid. I will, I will be a boy forever. <laughs> I will be a boy forever. <laughs> how, many, how many people out here have dated a Peter Pan? Yeah. That's like a new trendy... Uh, Hashtag, right? Yeah. Peter Pan. Yeah. And it's also it's also very triggering for anybody who's been called that. Um, and if you're listening to this, you know what it is. I'm speaking directly to you, friend. Um, but, you know, it's been... it's been it, the Peter Pan syndrome is not a formal diagnosis in the DSM-5. And there are no distinct criteria defining the condition. However, there are some commonly mentioned signs, including difficulty with responsibilities and commitment, 
issues with work and career interests, being vain and self-centered, fear of loneliness, difficulty controlling impulsive behavior, reliance on others, and avoidance of criticism, which is just basically another version of being on the, self, uh, the, the self-absorption scale, right? It could be said to be on the self-absorption scale or at the counter-dependence or avoidant, as I, as I kind of think of it, is that it's kind of a continuum in which you start, you start off having experienced a lot of trauma kind of on a on a rescuing track right where you're concerned with others other people are more important and it's more the codependent track and the longer that you stay on that and the more trauma that you have as a result of that you may then kind of go into counterdependence and self-absorption as opposed to other absorption where you start out some people just skip straight to self-absorption um, the end of that spectrum being narcissistic <laughs> personality disorder and then sociopathy and um psychopathy so what's the difference between psychopathy and sociopathy so actually sociopath and psychopath were removed from the dsm so they have removed that and dsm-3 i think was the last edition for it to have it we're currently in the dsm-5 which is an abbreviation for a diagnostic and statistic manual of mental disorders it's basically the book that psychologists use to diagnose people so it's not in there. They say that a psychopath is not an official diagnosis, but a doctor may diagnose someone with specific traits they associate with antisocial personality disorder. Okay. So a common feature of psychopath and sociopath lie on their shared diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. A sociopath is going to have three or four of the following traits. Disregard for right and wrong, persistent lying or deceit to exploit others, being callous, cynical, and disrespectful of others, using charm or wit to manipulate others for personal gain or personal pleasure, arrogance, a sense of superiority and being extremely opinionated, recurring problems with the law, including criminal behavior, repeatedly violating the rights of others through intimidation and dishonesty. This is actually sounding like someone I know. Impulsiveness or failure to plan ahead. <laughs> hostility, except for the crime part. Hostility, significant irritability, agitation, aggression, or violence. Lack of empathy for others and a lack of remorse about harming others. This is really sounding like someone I know. Yeah. Unnecessarily taking risks or dangerous behavior with no regard for the safety of self or others. Yeah. Poor or abusive relationships. Failure to consider the negative consequences of behavior or learn from them. Being consistently irresponsible and repeatedly failing to fulfill work or financial obligations. So, you know, one of the things they talk about with Peter Pan syndrome is that is that those who are quote-unquote Peter Pans have difficulty with personal and romantic relationships. Some people frequently change partners. They often seek less mature ones or they're ending relationships uh, once a higher level of commitment is required. This is a very specific subset on this spectrum. We've talked about avoidant dismissive. We talked about counterdependence, especially on our TikTok. I've talked about that a lot. And so you can see how this is like, this may be, we have a very big tendency to pathologize people. And obviously we're even reading the (laughs) the pathological descriptions of some of these things. But, you know, that's kind of more Peter Pan, I would think is the more kind of extreme version of this. Like if you're experiencing this, uh, if you have this in yourself or if you know somebody who's like this, it's a good chance that they haven't even really started on that kind of spectrum of looking at the primal wounds, looking at their mother wound, looking at their father wound, looking at their attachment styles, things along those lines. So with that understanding of the fact that Peter Pan syndrome may be a more extreme version of someone not growing up, what we're getting into are the behaviors and the nuances of the parts and things that you may be holding on to that you just don't know there's a better way of relating. That you just don't, you, you're, you're in this path of becoming more emotionally mature, of relearning or learning for the first time ways in which you should be around yourself, ways that you should handle your inner kids, ways that you should work, uh, you should be at work as you're kind of coming through this, this shadow work and really coming onto the other side of it. So we want to first talk about signs and areas in which you maybe could mature. It could be that you may uh, be looking to do better shadow work or you have to do a shadow work process in order to get to it. Or maybe it's just stuff that bringing awareness to it is something that can really um, be useful in understanding that. And then we're going to preview signs that you may be growing up and we're going to go to that more in depth next episode. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. So... Uh, the first sign uh, is 
blow-ups is emotional blow-ups, right? We've talked about emotional blow-ups in the past as kind of a maladaptive behavior for uh, not being able to handle big emotions. There can be a lot of reasons that we have blow-ups, y'all. It could be that we were never taught how to how to regulate have, uh, yet ha- how to regulate how to have big emotions. It may be that you had a tantrum and you weren't told that you could have a tantrum, or you had a tantrum and then you were never shown how or never kind of brought through as you kind of developed in your brain. You were never taught how to move away from a tantrum, right? As a thing. Um, one of the things that's helped me significantly with blow-ups and has helped me realize that I had this issue was that, like, for me, my blow-ups have almost disappeared since I started, rec- I understood my sensory processing disorder. Like, I started recognizing that, first I, regula- I, re- I was recognizing I was dysregulated, right, because of last season and, like, having gone through enough shadow work, I was able to slow down my brain enough to be able to see what was happening. I was seeing I was getting dysregulated. And then I went on this whole neurodivergent dream wonderland journey, right? Which we'll be talking about later in the season. But, you know, I went on this whole journey and started to recognize that it was sensory inputs that were too much that were causing me to be dysregulated, which is what caused me to have the blowups, right? And by figuring that out, my, my blowups have disappeared. I can, I can, I can, I, I'm like, oh, there's too much sound in here right now. All right, cool. I'm just going to remove myself. Awesome. Right? Or I'm going to do whatever. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of me too because I beat myself up for so fucking long thinking that there was something fundamentally wrong with me for having these angry blow-ups. And and for me, it was diet. Like it was my hormone. It was directly related to my hormone cycle and my diet, getting off of sugar and grains, which turn into sugar, was it for me too. Yeah. And realizing like I have a very sensitive digestive hormonal system and like I, I, I was thinking about it I think I lost my temper once in the last eight or nine months and it was only in the month after I had COVID where I wasn't eating my proper diet because I was so sick and I was just kind of eating whatever was available yeah yeah and the time that I had a blow up and this and this is we're telling all this because our blow ups didn't completely disappear like it, it you can't always control everything a couple weeks ago I had a blow up because I had been in the super blazing hot sun with my kids for this festival. I was really hungry. I was really tired and they had been on blow up castles. So I'd been basically like running around with their shoes in this hot parking lot for like four oh hours. Oh my God, that just sounds like blow up city. Right. And, <laughs> and my daughter was having a kind of a moment. She was having a meltdown. Like she couldn't, because my husband and I had driven separately and she couldn't decide what car to go in. And that's something that she gets a lot, which is like this indecision. And she's paralyzed by the indecision because she doesn't know which one she wants to do. And it was a situation that needed somebody who was present, regulated, had food, wasn't super tired to do it. And my husband left, which I had, uh, that was some shadow that I needed to have. And I had a discussion with him about like, you knew she was going into this place and you left her with me, who was just going to like have to grab her out of this field and take her to the car, which is effectively what I had to do. But like, it was so interesting because even though I had that reaction and I ended up having the reaction of just being like, if you don't like you're like, we stood there for so long that he was gone. So there wasn't even a decision left to make. Right. Cause she was like, I want to go with him. I want to go with you. I don't know which one I'm supposed to go with. But we sat in that field for 10 minutes while I was wanting to leave. And you know, and I was like, there's not even a decision. You can't even go with him anymore. Like he's halfway home by now. And you know, what, what I started to recognize and what I was, he was just like, fuck this. Yeah. He kind of was just like, fuck this. I was like, (laughs) I was, I I definitely had some words with him after that, but like, just to be like, you know, recognize the situation. Like I know you're tired and I knew you were doing other stuff and like he had been at the farmer's market. So he was tired too, but like recognize that like in that situation, there was like assistance would have been bet The would have been nice. But what we started to realize and what I learned from Jay Fields class is all about repair. Right. And about how, you recognize that those blows, blow ups are going to happen, and then you figure out the best ways of doing repair because blow ups are going to happen in life. Your kids are going to have tantrums and they're going to have blow ups for the rest of their lives, and they're also going to recognize that you're going to have blow ups. And if we try to deny them the experience of those big emotions that feel really big, then we are not equipping our kids, our inner kids or our actual kids. We are not equipping them with the tools they need to recognize that blow-ups happen 
and repair needs to then happen, mm-hmm. right? And so it's really, really important to recognize that like it's not about a totally avoiding blowups, right? It's about recognizing that it does sometimes happen, making it so that we can decrease the frequency, duration, and intensity of the blow up, and then also work on repair with our kids and recognize that, hey guys, you can have this really, really, really big emotional reaction. Your parent may get really pissed off, but you're figuring out how to repair. I'll tell, I'll tell more about the kind of repairs and the different times about that later. All right, monetary immaturity is, it's, it's, it's another example of what we're gonna talk about later, but basically it's, it's an idea that you can use money as power over somebody else right? Mm -hmm. That you're basically buying them something because you're wanting them to love you. So you keep buying them gifts, but it's not like a language of love. It's literally because you're afraid they're going to leave you. Right. So it's basically using money, um, as a weapon or money as an influence or a way of dominating control over somebody else, which basically speaks to the other things in this list, which is like, it's all about power dynamics. And if you're having to basically manipulate or use a power dynamic over somebody else, then that's a sign that you could use maturity in a certain area. The next is inappropriate emotional distance. And this one is hard, y'all. It is so fucking hard, especially if you're like me and you're encounter dependent where you just, you feel like you feel swelled up when you create a boundary and then you ghost and mm-hmm. then you disappear, right? What we start to recognize is that as we develop emotional maturity, inappropriate emotional distance is really important. It's all about interdependency, which is this state that we are heading towards. Interdependent people don't switch. They don't tell somebody else how they're feeling, right? They don't. Oh, they like don't... say, like say, oh, you mean this, or you're really feeling this. Exactly. Okay. Right. That's an inappropriate emotional distance because you are basically going into their emotional field and telling them how they feel. Okay. Right. You're too close to them in that case. It's also not what I would call the pendulum swing of anxious and avoidant, or more just like the pendulum swing that you often feel with avoidant people. Right. Avoidant people. We have a tendency to kind of try and stay in the middle, but then we get lonely. So we get close to people and then we get too close to people and then it gets upsetting and we don't really want to be that close to them. So we swing and become really distant and then we go close and then we swing out and we go really distant and, you know, we have a blow up or we do whatever and we stop talking to the person until everything cools down and then we go back, right? Those are exhausting cycles And they are signs that we can have some maturity in the way that we're relating because emotional distance is really important with that. And then anxious, emotional, uh, the emotional distance, inappropriate emotional distance associated with anxiousness is just like being too close to them, being clingy. Maybe Mm -hmm. you're not switching, but you're just like so concerned with their emotional state all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're highly dependent on it. So those are examples of that. Next is rigid and no boundaries, which is two sides of the same coin, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Having a rigid boundary that doesn't take into account the fact that other people are people and that other people have their own experience, right? Like it's important at first sometimes when you're in an abusive relationship to create a rigid boundary, 100%. But what you start to recognize is that as you start to mature, that rigid boundary will become more living and dynamic. And it will take into account the growth of the other people. If you have a rigid boundary with someone who is not an abuser or, you know, who, who you just have a difficult relationship with, but they aren't an abuser necessarily. What you may find is that you're actually creating a rigid boundary with a projection of them and not with their actual living self who can grow and who can change and things like that. The opposite side of rigid boundaries is no boundaries. Next is transactional relationships. It's, it could be as much as like I'm going to give you attention in exchange for something monetary or you're going to help me out in this way. Oh, transactional relationship like a very a very obvious example would be an escort, right? Yeah. You pay me money and I will be your date for the night or I will sleep with you or trying to uh, trying to manipulate somebody by basically giving them affection or attention in exchange for something that you actually really want. Right. Or just being friends with someone because they are in your same attractive attractivity bracket and you want your pictures to look good on Instagram. I mean, yeah. stupid things like that. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So you're getting a secondary gain. You're not actually valuing them as a person. Right. Right. It's a, it's more of, it's what most people would say being used. 
right? And and I'm really careful in all of these situations to not pathologize these things. For a long time, <laughs> for a long time, I absolutely adore people. I love talking about them and hearing things about them. Yes, I have to like limit my time with them because of a lot of other things. But a lot of the time when I first met people, I would be like, they have a tool that I could really use. So we should make friends with this person. Oh my God, a tool. <laughs> yeah. So... It's like, funny. Like a bandsaw or so. Chainsaw, well, yeah. is, does this mean it's transactional that with very few exceptions, usually when I've like date, I've dated someone, I always want them to know something or have a skill that I don't have so I can learn it. Is that bad? Is that transactional? I don't it's know. Like, I, my first long-term boyfriend was Argentine, was Argentine. And I was like, if we date, I mean, I really liked him. I was like, but I can also really get my Spanish good. And then my other one was a massage therapist. It's like, I can really get my massage skills good. I, that may be slightly transactional, yes. <laughs> but I'm not slightly. <laughs> not, it's very transactional. And then with my husband, he's older and he knows a lot more about spiritual stuff. And I was like, cool, we can share and he can teach me stuff that I don't know. It's very practical. Okay, it's practical. Borderline transactional. Borderline transactional. I mean, I did the same thing. I dated a Kiwi because I wanted to go to New Zealand, you know? Oh, my God. Like, that's so transactional. I know. For five years because I did but, that. But, I mean, aren't we all... I mean, aren't we all in some ways enjoying, like, the... Well, no, I'm trying to think. I had a boyfriend, and there was nothing that he gave me but just the joy of being in his presence. Exactly. That's it. That's it. That's it. Just the joy of being in their presence. What you learn from them, watching them grow, watching them make mistakes, right? Oh, God. So I'm not like that with my husband? Am I an asshole? No, I don't think you're an asshole. I think that you're maturing. Maturing, which means I'm immature. <laughs> Shit, I hope he doesn't listen to this episode. All right. I would love, I would, I mean, this is, this is what I channeled. So like, I am totally, and like what I've learned over time. So if somebody has something else that they want to say about them, that's fine. Um, wait, what? Like uh, if somebody, we weren't supposed to talk about marriage or bliss. Interesting. Was that what we, I channeled at the beginning of this that we weren't supposed to talk about marital bliss. uh, They want us to talk about this. I know what they're trying to say. What? Because marriage. Is it, I think this is what they wanted us to say, is that all marriage is transactional. There is no such thing as marital bliss. There, You are going to have transactional relationships with marriage because marriage itself was created from a transactional egregore. Oh, wow. That's so interesting, guys. Hot off the press. It makes total sense. <laughs> Can you channel it and see if that's what you're No, getting? no, I think you're totally right. I think you're totally right. So we want to make a really clear distinction here. That partnership, when you are in a relationship with somebody else that is considered a part intimate partnership, that is not meant to be transactional. But the institution of marriage is 100% transactional, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we're trying. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very interesting because I uh, what they what Archangel Michael said to me right before this episode was he was like he was like um, don't mention anything about marital bliss. And I didn't understand it, and now I understand it. Yeah, we were it. like, how does that come into this episode at all? But that's what he was trying to say. I think he was trying to say that marriage itself is a transaction, and therefore you cannot... You, marriage like, needs to be separated from partnership. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As a thing. Because partnerships are not meant to be transactional. They're supposed to be synergistic if you will mm-hmm. whereas the egregore and the and the, the experience of marriage that's so fascinating all right guys <laughs> it's just fun when we have parallel channels anyways yeah um okay so next on the list is ghosting yes ghosting i think everybody can kind of know this but i'm talking about ghosting and y'all may know that if you did it not wanting to deliver bad news in whatever way shape or form so you delay RSVPing. oh in my case i delay I delayed calling patients to let them know that their copay was a lot bigger than we thought it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's it's all of that. It's like... Okay. So basically ghosting is the experience of not wanting to deliver bad news to somebody, right? Which is... The thing is, is that y'all, if ever you're in doubt, and if ever you run an event, you know that it is just so much better to have somebody be like, hey, 
I still don't know when I'm going to do this, but I'm going to tell you in the next two weeks whether or not I can do this thing. It's so much better to do that than to just not hear anything because you're afraid of delivering uncertainty. Like, it's just so much better. So it's like, whether it's ghosting, I mean, like, not responding to someone is just very, very immature. But there are a lot of levels of, of not responding or not wanting to deliver bad news that are above that, that are still like ways in which you can mature. Because ultimately, respecting other people for being able to handle, like, in some ways, that's an example of, of, of saying, these are your emotions, I'm not in charge of your emotions, and I trust you to be grown up enough to handle your emotions. And if you can't, then that's your stuff. But I'm just going to give you my stuff. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to not tell you something because I'm going to hurt your feelings. Like, that's such a, that, that, that is the quintessential not, not being to, in a place where you actually trust that anybody else around you has grown up, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I need to, I, it's my responsibility to take care of other people's feelings. So I don't want to hurt your feelings. It's like, actually, no, they need to be responsible for their own feelings. Right. And you can say it in the most kind and gentle way that you possibly can, but ultimately you are not in charge of anybody else's feelings. And when you start to mature, you start to recognize that. Okay. And practice that. Um, the next is inappropriate exchanges of value. Um, I use the example of sex for dinner, but I think I would actually often do sex for a really good dinner. Um, but like, Wait, where is the Oh, sex for dinner? <laughs> but what I meant by that is like... <laughs> appropriate exchanges of value. What I mean by that is that like you're giving $10 and the person's giving you 10 cents. Okay. Right? It's like, it's basically you're in a, you're in a relationship in which like you're going to clean the entire house. And the guy's going to give you a peck on the cheek and be like, good job, honey. And it just feels so good to you because you're just like, oh, I got that peck Mm -hmm. on the cheek, right? That's Mm -hmm. kind of an exaggerated version, but that's what I meant, right? And it goes both ways. Is that there is, relationships are not transactional. It's not about counting every single thing that is there. But it is also about recognizing that um, that there's, that there's, that kind of all in all things do equal out right well like i think it means at least for me what i like to think of it as is participation should be equal Mm -hmm. but product might be different yes so for example um like in my case you know like i do 90 to 5 99 of the cleaning but my husband participates in other ways yeah right like like if you were to follow us around with a video camera he participates in the relationship in other ways, even if, if he doesn't it doesn't look like it in terms of domestic labor. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. That does make sense. Right. Um, next is building or allowing someone else to build your bridge to intimacy. All right. So we talk about this in the intimacy episode is that intimacy is like a bridge in which love can travel across. Both people in the relationship are in charge of like in any relationship you are are in charge of creating your half of the bridge it's your job to create the foundations that will allow so why love is this to considered immaturity um if you try and build somebody else's half oh. or you allowed somebody to build your half i see yeah you each have to build your own everybody has to build their own okay and if they don't then you're not doing your part to basically be loving in their relationship okay um next is requiring shared realities oh i like that you like the, which one? Well, I like to recognize that we don't. Like, it's immature to think that they have to always see it the way you see it. Right. Right. Shared realities. I'm going to have Jay Fields talk about this because this is fucking mind-blowing. Y'all. Really? I oh can't my wait. God. I cannot it, wait for this episode. I, I literally, I, when she told me this, uh, and I'll give you guys just a brief preview of what we're talking about here, but like, so many of us are taught in so many different ways that there is only one reality and we, and whoever is the dominant person, whether it's the parent or the boss or whatever it is, like whoever has the power in the relationship is the one who determines the reality for every other person. And ultimately when you're in that dynamic of only having one reality, you don't, the other person doesn't actually have choice. They can only comply with that reality or defy it. They don't have any other choices in it. So recognizing that there are always, every person has their own reality and recognizing what that looks like is all about this. So requiring a shared reality is the same as saying requiring that there's only one reality and everybody has to adhere to it. So whoever's the dominant person in the relationship or in the, in the dynamic 
whether it's the parent and the child, whether it's the, you know, the, the wife or the husband or vice versa, that that is a very immature way of relating. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of a relationship book that I read a few years ago and I talked about it one of the first in some episode in the first season is they call it like the like um like rules of operation and just like, you know, people coming from different delete people coming from different cultures might have different ideas and rules about what's expected, but you have your different rules even if yeah. you come from the same culture. Yeah. And just to realize like my idea of my idea of politeness to a guest is different than someone else's. Yeah. And vice versa. Exactly. Um, next is game, again, any kind of power play. Um, any kind of power play whatsoever. So we're talking about... Um, yelling at you. Yeah. Yelling at you, making it so that you're trying to dominate the person using one of your masking techniques, using whatever or vice versa is happening. And not the fun, dominant, submissive sort of thing, but basically requiring... Again, that's like <laughs> an extension of shared realities. The next is rule and contract breaking. Okay. If you've established a relationship with a person and you've established rules that either you will have, regardless of who is who you're with, or you will have in a relationship and you break that, that's something that needs maturity. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. No matter how bad like it tell gets. Your, like no if you tell how. your partner in the beginning of the relationship, these are my deal breakers. Like, yeah. these are the three things. If you ever do these three things, we're over. Yeah. And they do them. They need to grow the fuck up and you need to get the fuck out. Right. <laughs> right. Or if it's a rule, like we, we talk about the marriage contracts. If you made a contract with that person to only bring things up in the 24 hours and then you, you break that, like that means that you need some maturity, right? Mm-hmm. It's your job to, to have that maturity. Um, and then the last one is outsourcing harmony, which is all about not being okay until someone else is okay or till something else is okay. Right. So like, I feel so terrible and I'm only going to be okay if you say the words melancholy figurati. Melancholy figurati. (laughs) Oh, now I'm happy. I'm so fucking happy now. Thank you so much. That's it. Right. (laughs) Outsourcing your harmony. Outsourcing your internal happiness to somebody else. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like that's a great name for a business. Outsourcing harmony. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. So things that we're going to talk about next time, which we kind of preview this time about signs that you are growing up. And I hope that that, was that a good list? Did that list like kind of yeah. give you? You yeah. know, well, what's funny is it's basically a list of things sociopaths do. <laughs> <laughs> it's something like that. Something like that for sure. Um, but I think it's also, I think that all of us can say that we've done this to one extent or another. And I think it's really important for us to not just look at extremes. It's really easy for us to look at the extreme abandonment wound person, the extreme counterdependent, the extreme narcissist. And we and when we start to look at those extremes, it's really hard for us to pull it back and be like, how am I actually dealing with my own life in every day? And when I recognize that, I recognize that I do little things. I do little tiny things all the time. And how can I change those little tiny things? And how can I deal with conflict a little bit better? Mm-hmm. And how can I deal with, you know, baby steps? Baby steps. So we're talking about the baby steps, y'all. So things we're going to be talking about, about um, signs that you are growing up, things that you can do, interdependence, talking about repair, talking about true realities, um, talking about moving towards internal validation, um, uh, or at least along the spectrum of that. Um, And then talking about the decreasing uh, frequency and duration and intensity of of blow-ups and kind of conflict, uh, more self-love, advocating for goodwill y'all goodwill is oh fucking love that one and uh, and kind of additive intimacy what in is which additive way. intimacy i would say that additive intimacy is basically um in which the work that you do is not about it's not it's not about taking away from somebody else's love it's not it, it, it looks at the world less in terms of like Intimacy being, you know, the bridge in which love can flow, in which you're always upgrading your intimacy. You're always trying to upgrade it, and you're trying to then kind of... It's not about taking you away from the other person in order to get to yourself. You don't see it as a zero-sum game, is kind of what it is. Okay. You see it like, if I work on myself, I'll just contribute more to the relationship. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, yeah. So, that's that's growing up, y'all. Thanks for listening. Oh, you're done. Awesome. I'm excited for this series. Thanks, Christina. Thank you, Anna. All right, bye. Hey, y'all. We hope you enjoyed the first in this series on growing up. 
We are looking to revisit the primary wounds later in this season. If you could send us an email of your stories, your recollections for possible airing, or just to talk to us, we would appreciate it. This.spiritual.fix at gmail.com. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.